When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Last week, we brought you one of our own investigations. It exposed a Russian disinformation campaign which was planting images and videos across the world aimed at undermining confidence in the Oxford COVID vaccine. The images that The Times has identified are designed to drive fear, to discredit the competitor vaccines that might penetrate markets that Russia is particularly interested in targeting at the moment. We could see that the images, which showed people turning into monkeys after taking the vaccine, had been commissioned and coordinated by officials within the Russian state. It's no coincidence that Russian officials are using the same language that we're seeing rippling across Russian state media and that is being circulated across covert online networks. These are hallmarks of Russian disinformation campaigns. The reaction to our investigation was immediate. It made headlines around the world. An investigation by The Times has exposed a Russian disinformation campaign aimed at discrediting the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. A Times investigation traces the campaign directly to the Russian state. Propaganda spreading fear about the vaccine has also shown up on the internet, pushed by Russia. The, the picture, helpfully, they, the Russians helpfully showing a picture of a, an angry uh, monkey in this. Astonishing story. Whatever will they come up with next? The Foreign Secretary, Dominic Raab, condemned the Russian tactics that we'd exposed. Frankly, it's a shabby piece of disinformation. Any attempt to spread lies about COVID-19 and, and the vaccine in particular, when we're trying to come together as an international community to resolve a global pandemic, is utterly deplorable. The former head of GCHQ, Sir David Omond, wrote in a letter to the Times. I doubt these lies could be run on Russian media without the active connivance of the Russian authorities. And the Kremlin itself reacted. As President Putin's spokesman told reporters, Russia does not misinform anyone. And, he said, responding to the comments on Russia is turning into a circus. And then, one of the key characters in Russia's war of the vaccines, Kirill Dmitriev, Vladimir Putin's money man, got in touch. Hi, Kirill. Hello. Can you hear me OK? Yes, I can hear you OK. Can you see me? Sorry, I'm in a car, so I'm moving a little bit. Oh, yes, yes, I can see you, yes. I presume you're not terribly happy with us, so tell me your side of things. Today, we hear the reaction from Russia and follow an intriguing trail which links this Russian disinformation campaign to a British journalist. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Russia's Disinformation War, Part 2. Our investigation last week revealed plans for a global social media campaign. It encouraged people to call the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine the monkey vaccine because it used a chimpanzee viral vector to interact with people's immune systems. This fairly unexceptional scientific process was being transformed into something terrifying. 
and Video clips and images showed people being vaccinated and turning into monkeys. Cities being overrun by hordes of crazed apes. And the evidence we could see showed that this campaign had been commissioned by the manufacturers of the Russian vaccine, which is a state-run enterprise. The Russian vaccine program is financially backed and publicly fronted by the Russian Direct Investment Fund, the country's sovereign wealth fund, which is very much a part of the state apparatus. Its CEO is Kirill Dmitriev. And as Mark Galliotti, the Russia expert, explained to us last week, Basically, Dmitriev's job is when the Kremlin says we want money dumped into this cause or this project, then that's what he does. Kirill Dmitriev denies having any involvement in the social media campaign, but the messaging the campaign used about what it called the monkey vaccine echoed many of his own comments to the international press. Here he is in action. One question in return to the West. We answered all of your questions. We published our data in the Western magazine. Please show us your studies that show that monkey adenovirus vaccine, that is AstraZeneca's British vaccine, and mRNA, which is the US vaccine, mm-hmm. have no long-term effects on increasing risk for cancer and infertility. As soon as our investigation broke, Kirill Dmitriev's people got in touch. He wanted to talk. Hi, this is Kirill. So, uh, do you want me to comment on the great piece that you did? (laughs) I am very happy for you to do so. Did you hear that? He called it a great piece. He spoke to the Times Science Editor, Tom Whipple. First of all, we are definitely against any attack or any misrepresentation on uh, any vaccine. We have very compelling evidence, including documentation, that there is a Russian campaign set to be launched. It seems to come from organisations close to the Russian state, including yours. Will you be investigating this? Because this isn't a figment of our imagination. We'll definitely look into this. Also, you know, Russian vaccine has been attacked, so I don't know how much credence to give to this. Right, but but you you yourself... You yourself have attacked this vaccine. You yourself, whenever you refer to it, call it the monkey vaccine. You allege that it causes cancer. You are on the record. Okay, you make a very valid point. The Russian vaccine is based on a human adenovirus. And how do you want me to call AstraZeneca vaccine if it's based on chimpanzee adenovirus? Give me a term. Well, I mean, the, the first thing is an adenovirus vector vaccine is fine. But the strange thing is that we have uncovered this propaganda campaign based around the phrase monkey virus, which isn't correct. It's a very strange scientific term to use because, of course, chimpanzees aren't monkeys. And it looks very much like a deliberately orchestrated propaganda attempt. So are you going to stop using the term monkey vaccine? And why were you using it? First of all, first of all, we basically condemn the campaign that you showed. If you want to, I can stop calling it monkey vaccine. I'll then call it chimpanzee vaccine. Or give me a term I should call it. Russian vaccine and human adenovirus vector has been studied for decades. And basically, this is a different approach. We don't believe we should compare the two. We don't believe we well, should say... You, we, we should your op-ed, this. Your op-ed literally... Your op has a heading, human virus vaccine versus monkey vaccine. So you are literally comparing the two. And you're alleging it causes cancer, which there's no mechanistic or theoretical reason to believe it would. 
and this comes, this happens to come from a vaccine, which I haven't found any scientists who said anything other than yours is a very sensible theoretical approach, but it happens to come from a vaccine that hasn't actually been through safety trials. So what I want to know is why you specifically use a term that this propaganda campaign is about making it monkeys versus humans. And it seems strange that you are using deliberately pejorative, scientifically incorrect language and talking about cancer for no reason that, that, that we can see. So it very much looks like you not only know about this campaign, but you are part of this campaign and orchestrating this campaign. Well, I mean, you are, see, you are doing uh, really uh, strange accusations without trying to understand our point of view. So first of all, it is based on chimpanzee adenovirus. So shall we call it chimpanzee adenovirus vaccine, or which term would you use for AstraZeneca vaccine? Well, you've so just called it the AstraZeneca vaccine. Human adenovirus vaccine. Give me a term to use. I'll use the term. What's the term you recommend? AstraZeneca vaccine. Okay, but fine. AstraZeneca vaccine. But you acknowledge that we are based uh, Russian vaccine on human adenovirus, which has been tested much more than AstraZeneca's vaccine. Everything we published, we stand by it, and it's factually correct. Will you state on, on the record that, that the best thing is cooperation with Oxford and other vaccine developers? And that that's of course. A... Russia cannot provide the whole world with its vaccine. We only can be a part of the portfolio. So we believe all of the countries should have the portfolio of vaccines. And it should be AstraZeneca vaccine, mRNA vaccine, human adenovirus vaccine, and all of this portfolio approach would work. So, a success of sorts. But our investigation also provided a rare glimpse inside a Russian disinformation campaign, allowing us to see the sort of tactics that Russia is now using. As the director of the US National Counterintelligence and Security Center, Bill Evanina recently explained. We've seen Russia change its tactics and procedures. The change is that the Russians are no longer using their own, mostly proxies and bots and troll farms because they got caught. Following the American election in 2016, online campaigns run by Russian troll factories were being exposed by the authorities. Social media platforms were much more alive to the threat, and people became better at spotting the telltale signs. You know, it might be an odd use of language or grammar that didn't sound quite authentic, not quite American, not quite British. But by peeking behind the curtain on this campaign, we could see that the trolls had been rejected for a new system of spreading lies and disinformation. This campaign worked in two stages. The first involved paying people all over the world to plant images on social media in several countries. These images showed monkeys and syringes and referred to AstraZeneca producing a monkey vaccine. The second stage involved Russian state media who would run these images across their coverage as evidence that the whole world shared their fears about the Oxford vaccine. By planting these images in the mainstream media around the world, they would amplify the message and give the social media campaign a gloss of legitimacy from having it featured in the news. We could already see some of the images appearing on the Vesti programme on Russian state media. It's the main nightly news programme, a bit like Russia's version of Newsnight. A few weeks ago, 
the presenter stood in front of two giant images from the social media campaign. One with a poster of King Kong clutching a syringe. The other of Uncle Sam pointing with the words, I want you to take the monkey vaccine, emblazoned beneath it. But we know that there was anxiety at the Vesti program, that these images hadn't actually shown up on social media yet. So the campaign was under pressure to plant them around the world as soon as possible. But when we published our investigation, the campaign was halted. The images were still being touted around among influencers and hadn't yet been published. The whole campaign had been exposed, and so it had to be shut down. We searched social media and none of the images we had from the campaign could be found. So imagine our surprise when we did find the images popping up on small news websites in Europe and America. Articles in the London Globe, the New York Globe and the EU Reporter ran under the headline public concern for scientific backing for COVID-19 vaccine. They talked about the AstraZeneca-Oxford vaccine, and they used images of monkeys in lab coats carrying syringes. These were all images from the social media campaign, and they all ran under the same caption. Memes like this have started to pop up on social media, reflecting public anxiety about experimental drugs. Except that they hadn't. These articles, like the Vesti programme, ran the images before they turned up on social media. And once our investigation was published, that became even more obvious because the social media campaign just didn't run. So how did these European websites have access to images developed by Russia? The author of the articles was a man named James Wilson, who'd also published the images and the same caption on his personal blog, EU political report. But he's not the easiest man to get hold of. When I did eventually get through to him, before our investigation was published, he claimed the images were all over social media and told me I should just Google them before abruptly hanging up. Now, we had done an extensive search of social media, but to make sure we hadn't missed anything, we got in touch with René de Resta, who is a disinformation expert at Stanford Internet Observatory and the research manager. The team at Stanford tracked disinformation all over the world. We asked René if she could find these images anywhere on social media. Did we miss anything? No, I didn't see it on social either. Like I, I wasn't seeing it anywhere um, on any Western social media platforms. So how did James Wilson get hold of those images? We did a bit of digging to find out a bit more about him. According to LinkedIn, he's 68 years old and... An experienced international communications professional with a strong results-oriented determination to deliver outstanding results. So, a communications expert rather than a journalist. And his LinkedIn profile shows that he's worked extensively in Eastern Europe, particularly in Ukraine. He's a member of the EU-Ukraine Business Council. I tried to get in touch with him again. I think he's still avoiding me. The news websites that published the articles, the London Globe, the New York Globe and the EU Reporter, were all owned by a British businessman, Colin Stevens. When we contacted him about the images, he took the articles down and sent us a statement saying, 
We appear to have unwittingly published Russian disinformation about the Oxford vaccine. We published the story in good faith. Thank you for alerting us to this. He went on to explain that James Wilson had, in his words, fed them the story. And now... As a result of your excellent investigative article, we have informed James Wilson that we can no longer accept stories from him, as we suspect he's being used as a channel for Russian disinformation. So, I gave Colin a ring. Hello? Hello, is that Colin? Yeah, who's Colin? Hello, this is Manveen Rana from The Times. Oh, hello. He agreed to tell us a bit more about how they'd come to publish those images. My name's Colin Stevens. I'm the publisher of EU Reporter and London Globe. So, Colin, on some of your websites, on London Globe, New York Globe and and the EU Reporter, we saw some of these articles popping up, which had the images that we knew were coming out of a, a Russian fake news disinformation campaign. How did you come across those images? Well... The articles were provided by a reputable journalist who provides articles to us on a regular basis. Um, He also provided the images, and I think he took them off the internet. There's no reference to Russia in the article at all, so it didn't ring any alarm bells to us. Did you have to pay for this article? No, we certainly did not pay for it, and we were not paid to publish it either. It was just provided to us as a normal pro bono article. Is that how you get a lot of your articles? Are they pro bono? Uh, no, we 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 have we have journalists on our staff where we get a lot of articles which which basically come to as press releases. Yeah, can you tell us a bit about the journalist involved? I really don't wish to discuss his business. You'll have to ask him. Sure, I understand. Could you just give us a name? No. I can't, but it was published on the website, so you will know. It's James Wilson. Is that right? The author of the article was James Wilson, yes. And can I just check, you've said to us in in an email that you won't be accepting any more articles from him. Is that that right? That is correct. Um, You know, look, we are very, very careful um, to to try and weed out fake news. Um, will, will I not be taking articles from James Wilson in, in the future? Um, not for a while. I really would want to check the efficacy of any articles he provides in the future before we do. We got it wrong. We held our hand up and we removed the stories immediately. We were informed. We went back to James Wilson to ask how he got hold of those images, who had provided them, and if he'd been paid to spread them across different websites. We explained that they were part of a Russian disinformation campaign. He didn't answer our questions, but emailed back to say he hadn't read any of the articles about our investigation. And every time we tried to call him... Hello? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've got your email. Sorry, I haven't, been, I haven't had time to reply. We'll get back to you, okay? Uh, well, get uh, back as soon as I can. Uh, well, uh, actually, no, okay, I, thank I, you. I, I'd really Bye. like to speak to you bef- before you hang up. <sighs> he still hasn't come back to us. James Wilson has so far declined to answer our questions. There's no evidence that he knew he was being used as part of a Russian influence operation. But his articles became a cog in a global campaign to spread Russian disinformation.
We'll have more on this investigation in just a moment. But if you want to enjoy more remarkable stories every day, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times today and get one month free. Search for thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. James Wilson a British journalist in Brussels, was helping to spread Russian disinformation, although we can't be sure if he knew who he was working for. But is the use of foreign journalists to amplify their message a new Russian tactic? Russia has more recently been turning to authentic voices in the West to drive some of its messaging. Dr Jake Wallace is a senior analyst in information warfare at the Australian Strategic Policy Institute. And the way in which we've seen that play out is by freelance journalists in the West being hired to produce content that promotes pro-Russian messaging. So we've seen this uh, evolution in Russian disinformation tradecraft. They know that it's becoming increasingly challenging for them to run high-profile, at-scale disinformation campaigns on Western social media platforms because the platforms are getting better at identifying those inauthentic coordinated uh, networks. So one way in which they are uh, trying to continue these activities is by uh, uh, encouraging financially Western freelancers to produce content on their behalf. And that content then, again, becomes another way of laundering pro-Russian messaging across social media. René de Resta at the Stanford Internet Observatory says that hiring local journalists is a Russian tactic they've started to spot in campaigns all over the world, including, recently, in Africa. What they began to do was hire local people to run the social media properties, to be the local journalists. And so it was never clear how much they knew, how witting they were. But what was clear was that all of a sudden these were real people with real bylines, real Facebook, you know, real, real people managing the Facebook pages. And so what that does is it makes it a lot more difficult for the platforms to decide to take it down. Uh, So if you were to go and to look at these, these people, these people who'd been hired, it's not immediately clear that these people are, 
uh, on, you know, on someone else's payroll. Also, I mean, sort of just on a really basic level, it did mean that a lot of these, you know, the articles we were seeing even as part of the campaign before they were released were just written in very good English. You know, normally there's, if it's, if it's propaganda from Russia, you know, you, that you can tell there's a bit of bad grammar in there or something, but these were sort of written, you know, they just looked very, very authentic. Yeah, we saw that here also in the U.S. Um, recently, about uh, maybe a month ago now, uh, two weeks to a month ago, there was an operation called Peace Data, a website called Peace Data, and they had hired Americans to write the articles. They were paying them, I think, $200 uh, for free, you know, to freelancers, many of whom had been laid off, right? And so mm. the, they received some outreach from these entities, um, the, the quote-unquote editors who all turned out to be fake people with... Uh, AI-generated profile pictures, but it was hard to tell prior to, the, again, to the unraveling of the operation. And so these fake personas were engaging with uh, laid-off American journalists, asking them to write. And per your point, it's no longer the kind of low-quality, bad English that we saw in 2015 timeframe, 2016 timeframe. So that means of, uh, you know, that kind of uncanny valley of the metaphor is not right. The subject verb agreement's not there. You know, so that those sorts of errors are uh, are eliminated. Tactics have evolved since 2016, but disinformation continues to be used as a form of warfare by Russia. It even has a name: the Gerasimov Doctrine. Well, I'm the person who came up with the term. Mark Galliotti is a Russia expert, and yes, the man who coined the term the Gerasimov Doctrine. The idea of the Gerasimov Doctrine came out of a particular um, lecture that was then reprinted as an article in which the, the Russian chief of the general staff, General Gerasimov, talked about the fact that in the modern world, it is possible to basically destabilize countries using disinformation, cyber attacks and all kinds of non-kinetic, in other words, non-shooting means. And that then only at the last minute do you actually need to send in your soldiers. Now, he was talking about what the Russians think is actually a Western way of war. Actually, what Gerasimov was describing was, in fact, the Russian, the new Russian way of war. And because I had incautiously and in some ways tongue in cheek used the title Gerasimov Doctrine in the title of a blog post of mine in which I talked about this particular article, that term acquired its own momentum. But is there something in it? There is something in it. The thing is, when it comes to the Russians, actually what we misunderstand is that there are two different approaches. The Russian military, they absolutely understand that in the modern world, there are extra opportunities to use deception, subversion and subterfuge to kind of prepare the battlefield, which, let's face it, soldiers always have. There's nothing new about using deception. Mm. You know, since as long as they've been organized war, but now you can use cyber attacks, you can spoof the enemy's GPS systems, you can, as they have done in Ukraine, send text messages to enemy soldiers' mobile phones saying basically you're going to die in a way of obviously messing with their heads. So there are now vastly more opportunities, and the Russians look at that, and they are indeed developing it. Has let's be blunt, so are the Americans and the British and the French, anyone who might be con- contemplating expeditionary war. The real important thing is that the civilian national security establishment in the Security Council and the presidential administration, the real hubs of power in Moscow, they have looked at the modern world and thought, huh, war has become incredibly expensive and difficult. But in fact, maybe we can get what we want 
which after all, war is just simply a way of forcing another country to do something it doesn't want. We can get what we want by using all these kind of methods as an alternative to fighting. We can't send tanks into NATO countries because NATO is stronger than us. But on the other hand, because these are weak-willed and flabby democracies, we can corrupt people, we can spread disinformation, we can subvert political institutions, and maybe at the very least disrupt them so they can't get in our way. And I think that's the key thing. That is really the, I prefer the term political war that Russia is waging against the West today. Edward Lucas, the Times columnist who's been reporting on Russia for more than three decades, agrees that Russia's use of disinformation to destabilise and discredit the competition is becoming standard practice. But he warns that we're now becoming complicit in it. Well, Russia finds it hard to compete with the West in terms of economic clout. Its economy is about the size of Italy. Its armed forces, although modernising fast, aren't really a challenge for the United States or NATO. Its political economic model isn't terribly attractive. But where it really gets a lot of bang for the buck, or perhaps one should say rumble for the ruble, is on disinformation because this stuff is really cheap. They maybe spend a few million dollars on a disinformation campaign and it can have a global effect. And that's true whether it's hacking into political campaigns, emails and leaking the material to try and skew an election or buying politically divisive ads on Facebook or producing content that people are going to share. But the thing about disinformation is that most of the work is done by unwitting accomplices, people who look at something and think, oh, that's interesting, I'll send that onto my WhatsApp group or share it on Facebook or on Twitter or whatever. And so we do most of the work and the Russians can sit back and just watch the effect. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Times Science Editor Tom Whipple, Renee de Resta from the Stanford Internet Observatory, Dr. Jake Wallace from the Australian Strategic Policy Institute's International Cyber Centre, the Times columnist Edward Lucas, the Russia expert Mark Galliotti, the publisher Colin Stevens, and we had a very brief appearance from James Wilson. You can listen to the previous episode, Inside Russia's Disinformation War, wherever you get your podcasts. The producers today were James Shield and Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Wei Donglin. If you can, please do leave us a review. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, and now we're also available on the Times Radio app, along with all the other podcasts from the Times. Before we go, we thought we'd try James Wilson one last time. Figures. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.